Well, my heart has been so heavy the last couple of weeks, pouring over news articles and watching footage and hearing a lot of conflicting arguments. Maybe you've experienced something similar and you're wondering how to cut through the noise and, and make sense of things, wrestling with how to respond. One of our elders put it this way, people of all ages don't seem to have a framework to process all that's happening other than the liberal and conservative dichotomy. There's a tremendous amount of confusion in our country right now, confusion about various events that have occurred, confusion about what our response should be, and confusion about the solutions that will move us toward justice and value for every person and away from turning a blind eye, from silence and from ignorance. That confusion isn't just in suburbia, it's all over. I spoke with many pastors this last week, some serving in the inner cities, some in Ferguson, some African-American pastors leading African-American churches, and the response has been the same. People are hurt, people are confused, and there are a lot of different opinions in every community. Last Sunday, I touched on this briefly at the beginning of the message, and I need to explain why I was brief. Believe it or not, my talk about racial discrimination being wrong and unbiblical was already a part of that message before the murder of George Floyd. It was there because it's there in the text. Potiphar's wife used racial class wrongly as part of her accusation against Joseph. Now, later that Sunday, the feedback started to roll in, very positive from people who were thankful for the perspective and the message. People appreciated it, bringing it back to the core issue of sin and the need for the gospel of reconciliation. And I've heard from people that the message went beyond our church to impact people who have really been struggling with everything going on. But I also got a few emails from people who were frustrated and hurt that I didn't go into more detail about racism and injustice. Now, I always appreciate those emails, by the way. Please feel free to send me feedback and questions at pastor at efree.org. But in case there are others who didn't email me, I want to explain why I only said what I did. Last week's message was pre-recorded. I've done that a couple of times now to try to be able to spend a little more time with my family. The last several months have been extremely challenging and very busy for obvious reasons. I do not want my kids growing up hating the church because it's what keeps dad away. So I always try to maintain a healthy balance and spend a lot of time with them, but that has been very difficult the last few months. So by recording the message earlier in the week, I was actually able to spend a little time focused on my family, unplugged, not paying attention to the news, and spending several hours hiking through nature with them. It turns out that was the wrong time to take a hike, but I don't regret for a minute focusing on my family instead of being glued to the news. Someone rightly asked, why didn't you use the word murder last Sunday? Well, as I explained at the time, I try not to rush to judgment when we don't have all the information yet. We didn't actually have a lot of information at the time of recording. We didn't have an autopsy report saying it was homicide. We didn't have any charges against the officers. What we knew for sure from the video was that it was wrong and it shouldn't have happened and that the officers should be held responsible and that's exactly what I said. But we didn't know much beyond that. I've also tried very hard to make sure my Sunday morning messages have been very uplifting and even kid-friendly because I know hundreds of kids are watching this with their parents. I love that that has led to great conversations in families where the parents can take the content and apply it to where their kids are at right now, maybe using the discussion questions after the message. 
So why then did I not post anything new until Wednesday morning? Well, because I was praying, I was learning, I was talking with people all over the country and listening to African-Americans to get their perspectives. I have never regretted taking the time to fully understand a situation before I respond. And that is something I think our nation could learn to do better. What happened to George Floyd was an atrocity. No human being should be subjected to that treatment. There is no excuse for what the officer did to him. We mourn the loss of his life. We grieve for his family and the people across the country who feel this loss very deeply. There have now been two autopsies ruling his death a homicide. There have been two rounds of charges and all four officers are now charged in his death. And this tragic event has been a match dropped on a powder keg. It has brought to the forefront of the nation once again questions about racism, injustice, and police brutality. Those are good conversations to have. Unfortunately, it has also brought out political agendas, conflicting reports of the truth, and false narratives. This is why it is so hard to speak to some specific issues faithfully and biblically as a church. See, some people have asked me to get more political in my messages. They want me to talk about Black Lives Matter, police brutality, social justice, and other specific instances of alleged racism. I'm sure there are more that feel that way. So let me explain why I think that would be inappropriate. I'm a pastor, not a political commentator. My expertise is in applying the Bible to our lives. And while I have spent a tremendous amount of time researching these social and political issues, and I have opinions about all of them, much of what people would like me to talk about are not strictly biblical issues. Let me give you a few examples. Should Christians support Black Lives Matter? That's a complicated question. You may not think it's a complicated question, but it is. Black lives do matter. The Bible teaches us that we should support the right to life, fair treatment, and justice for all people regardless of skin color. The Bible specifically teaches against favoritism as a sin. For many people, Black Lives Matter is about raising awareness for injustices that have occurred against black people or standing against unjust killing of black people at the hands of police. We can readily agree on both of those. But the leaders of the Black Lives Matter movement say that their real goal is to defund the police. In fact, when the African-American mayor of D.C. wrote Black Lives Matter on the road leading to the White House, Black Lives Matter responded by criticizing him and saying, Black Lives Matter means defund the police. Is that a biblical issue or a political issue? According to the leaders of Black Lives Matter, you cannot support Black Lives Matter without supporting the defunding of the police. Which side of that issue should the church be on? Should the church be taking a position on that? How about police unions? Some believe that police unions are the single greatest contributor to the lack of justice for police officers after they commit discriminatory actions and the reason these actions can continue. Many are calling for their abolishment. Is the abolishment of police unions a biblical issue or a political issue? What do we do about qualified immunity for police and government officials? Should the Supreme Court roll it back or revise it? Biblical issue or political issue? What I am called to do is to preach the word of God, not to tell you whether to vote Democrat, Republican, or something else. 
My role as a pastor is to shepherd the flock spiritually, not politically. Where the Bible speaks to an issue principally, that is where I will focus my time. The other issues are important, but this is not the forum for political discussion. There are other venues for that, and I support them, and I watch them, and I care about them. But this should be a place where you go to hear the Word of God and the principles God wants you to live by. Many times I will teach a biblical principle, and you, with the help of the Holy Spirit, will need to apply it to your situation. Because I don't know your exact situation. I don't know what you know. Have you read the same news articles as me? Have you watched all the same videos? Are we talking about these issues with the same basic set of facts and definitions? Probably not. So to dive into the political side of things would be sure to lead to misunderstanding and confusion and anger, even if we're mostly in agreement. It would take tens of hours to define our terms, explain our positions and make our cases. And those are important discussions to have, but they are not appropriate for the worship service. This week, I had a long conversation with a good friend I've known for many years. He's an African-American pastor of an African-American church, and he and I met quite often to discuss issues of racial division and how to help before I moved here to St. Louis. Here's what he told me on the phone while I was preparing to preach this week. He said, the root cause of these issues is spiritual. A lot of these problems are because there is sin in our lives on both sides. If we all repented of sin and got right with God, a lot of these problems would be fixed. Dr. Tony Evans said last week, we're in a medical pandemic right now. Simultaneously, we're in a cultural pandemic and we're in a cultural pandemic because we're in a spiritual pandemic. We have wandered away from a value system that was established by God for how human beings were to live and act and relate to one another. Until we take seriously God's word, and its application in all areas of our lives, we won't see what he can do in turning this mess into a miracle. And he also said, at the core of all of this is a spiritual problem. So what I hope to do today is help you think biblically and spiritually about things, to give you biblical principles that you will need to take and apply in your context I can't tell you specifically what to do or what other people specifically need to do. God didn't give me that role. He gives us the Holy Spirit for a reason. Galatians 5 says, So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other. So you are not free to carry out your good intentions. But when you are directed by the Spirit, you are not under obligation to the law of Moses. My role as a pastor and the teaching elder of this church is to teach biblical principles. The Holy Spirit's role is to be your personal guide. That means you need to spend time in God's word and in prayer so he can lead you. So here is biblical principle number one. All people have value because all people come from God. Genesis 1 says, so God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. See, all people on earth come from God through those two human beings. That means we're all a part of one race, the human race. We often speak of race in a way that separates people into groups. The irony is that the outward appearances that seem so different to us sometimes actually make up a minuscule percentage of who we are. The New York Times ran an article 20 years ago 
Do races differ? Not really, genes show. Here's a quote. If you ask what percentage of your genes is reflected in your external appearance, the basis by which we talk about race, the answer seems to be in the range of 0.01%, said Dr. Harold P. Freeman, the chief executive president and director of surgery at North General Hospital in Manhattan, who has studied the issue of biology and race. This is a very, very minimal reflection of your genetic makeup. We are all created in the image of God. Every person has value, not because of who they are, but because God created them in his image. My kids love to make artwork and they love to give me that artwork. And if I were to try to sell that artwork, I probably would not become a millionaire. But if I were to do something to damage it, if I ripped it up or spilled coffee on it or marked it up somehow, they would be devastated. Not because the art had intrinsic value, but because they created it so it was valuable to them. And this is how God views us. When you mistreat another person, you are mistreating God's artwork. People are not valuable because of what they can do for you. People are valuable because God gave them value. Psalm 139 says, You made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. Biblical principle number two. God wants people of all ethnicities with him in heaven. In Revelation, John has a vision of heaven and he writes, After this I saw a vast crowd, too great to count, from every nation and tribe and people and language, standing in front of the throne and before the Lamb. They were clothed in white robes and held palm branches in their hands. God's plan includes every nation, every tribe, every language represented before him. In other words, God values multiculturalism. I've said many times in the last year, God loves diversity. God loves variability. He built within the genetic code of the first two humans, the variability to produce very different looking people. You know, not too long ago, secular scientists thought it was not possible for all of humanity to have come from just two humans. But now secular scientists admit that we likely all had two common ancestors known as mitochondrial Eve and Y chromosomal Adam. They even use the biblical names to describe these two common ancestors. God designed variability into people and God divided them into different languages. And God says that he wants that diversity present at his throne. Our God is a multicultural loving God. Now, some have asked, why don't we have more African-Americans in our church right here? If our God loves multiculturalism and we want to represent him on earth, why do we not have more of that right now? The principle of church multiculturalism is this. If your church is healthy and not biased as a whole, it should be roughly representative of the cultures in your community. If you look at the demographics around First Free Church, you'll find our immediate community is about 86% white, 6% Asian, 3% Black or African American, and 3% Hispanic or Latino, and 2% Pacific Islander, American Indian, or other. Eric Mason is a prominent black pastor in Philadelphia who said how diverse your church is will depend on your geography. We are blessed to experience great multiculturalism in our church that is reflective of our community. From Chinese background believers to Indian to Eastern European, Vietnamese, Af some African Americans and more. And we welcome more and we pray that God will make us even more diverse, but it would be inaccurate 
to look at the demographics of your church and think that something is desperately wrong here just because we are by far a majority white congregation. We are in a majority white community. For us not to be a majority white congregation, we would need many more people of other skin colors to drive long distances to reach us. And that should not be our goal for them. We would prefer they be in a local church where they can do life together with other people. Now, we would welcome people of all ethnicity to move to our community as well, and more are. And if they do, they should always feel welcomed and included in our church. And I want to challenge you to get to know people who are different from you. Build relationships with them. Listen and learn their stories. And if they aren't part of a church already, invite them to join us here. Biblical principle number three. God wants people of all ethnicities to worship him and wants us to share his good news with them. In Acts chapter 10, the apostle Peter has a vision three times where God tells him that the foods that were previously unclean are now to be considered clean. And Peter wonders what this vision could mean. Then he is invited to come share about Jesus in the home of a Gentile. The Jews and Gentiles were two different ethnic groups that really did not like each other. As Peter went inside the home of the Gentile man, here is what he said. You know, it is against our laws for a Jewish man to enter a Gentile home like this or to associate with you. But God has shown me that I should no longer think of anyone as impure or unclean. So I came without objection as soon as I was sent for. Now tell me why you sent for me. And the Gentile man invites Peter to share about God. And then Peter says, I see very clearly that God shows no favoritism. In every nation, he accepts those who fear him and do what is right. You have no idea how big a deal this was for a Jew to say that back then. Just to walk into his home was against their law. And Peter now says, I see that God shows no favoritism. And this is specifically in reference to different ethnic groups, groups that did not get along, groups where prejudice and discrimination were very, very normal. And Peter says, God accepts all of these people. Not only that, but God wanted Peter to be the messenger to this different group. And that's his goal for all of those who follow Jesus. The great commission from Jesus is, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Biblical principle number four. God says that treating people unequally is a sin. James 2.9 says, But if you favor some people over others, you are committing a sin. You are guilty of breaking the law. Now, I'm not going to get political here. I'm going to share the principle. You need to apply this principle in your setting. What does it look like to favor some people less than others? It could be paying someone less for a job because they're not like you. It could mean excluding someone as a friend because they look different. It could mean not doing business with someone because they are of a different ethnicity. And the Bible says if you favor some people over others, you are committing a sin. Biblical principle number five, God hates oppression and injustice and demands that his people work for justice. In Amos chapter five, we read, for I know the vast number of your sins and the depth of your rebellions. You oppress good people by taking bribes and deprive the poor of justice in the courts. 
hate evil and love what is good. Turn your courts into true halls of justice. There is no debate here. God expects us to love justice and pursue it. That means when someone is wrongfully killed, God wants our courts to bring justice to the killers. When someone is wrongly deprived of something, God wants our courts to figure that out and to bring justice for that person. And you and I should work to ensure that our politicians are politicians of justice, that our judges are fair judges, that our police are treating all people fairly. Whether that means protesting peacefully, writing letters, getting involved in boards or councils, running for office or donating to groups that are fighting for transparency and fairness in government. If we take seriously God's interest that people have courts of justice, then we must advocate for justice. Now, this is the point where you might want me to get more specific. Maybe talk about the policies that treat people unfairly or the systems that tend to treat one group differently from another group. And let me be clear, those are important conversations. But to talk about those, I would be necessarily making political statements, not biblical statements. The policies and systems questions are highly debated, highly controversial, and it would take hours and hours to try to clarify so everyone is on the same page to even try to make a statement about them. So let me put it this way. We should all be able to agree that racism is wrong. We should all be able to agree that discrimination is wrong. We should all be able to agree with the five principles taught today, where we may have disagreement that goes outside the realm of biblical principle, is on where we perceive problems and how we think those problems should be solved. Now, I want to say that again, just to make sure it's absolutely clear. We should all agree on the biblical principles of every person being created in the image of God, being desired by God in heaven, being offered salvation, and being treated equally and fairly, regardless of ethnicity, language, and skin color. But when it comes to the best ways to do that, our perspectives and our disagreements go beyond the realm of biblical exposition. They are important conversations. We need to work on those solutions. But those are not sermons. See, some of the things that people have latched onto as virtuous to them are not actually biblical principles, they are best practices. When we start talking about best practices, we have moved on from talking about the biblical principle to talking about how we should implement the biblical principle. And that's where you can have two people who are both followers of Jesus, believe the same biblical principles, but disagree on where the problems are and what the solutions should be. The tragedy is that Satan has been very good at getting those people to despise each other. So if you believe that white privilege is a major problem the way you define it and someone else doesn't believe it's a major problem the way they define it, instead of having a gracious conversation to understand their point of view, your defenses immediately go up and you view them as somewhat of an enemy unless they agree with you. But in many cases, you're not disagreeing on the biblical principle. You're disagreeing on where you perceive the problem to be and the best practices to implement the biblical principle. If you will just stop for a minute and take the conversation to a higher level, you can find common ground in what you are both trying to ultimately do, even if you disagree with how you think it should be done. The Bible says in Colossians 4, 6, let your conversation be gracious and attractive 
so that you will have the right response for everyone. Do you see what's happening in the world around us? Do you see how the people are divided into extremes and demonizing each other? Do you see how even if you disagree on a small point or say something in a different way or have a slightly different solution, you can be shouted down as an enemy? Do you think this is really all the work of people? There are spiritual forces at work in our world. They want to distract people from the truth. They want to divide people. See, the core issues here are spiritual. And I don't just mean sin. The Bible says that our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, mighty powers in this world and evil spirits in heavenly places. And so we should grieve for the loss of life precious to God. And we should value all people and treat all people fairly. And we should work for justice and peace in our country and community. And we should proactively pursue multiculturalism in our lives, in our workplaces, in our church, because this is something God values. But we also need to recognize that there are spiritual forces at work behind this. Now, here are some things that you can do very practically to help given everything that's going on right now. First of all, you can search your own heart and ask God to reveal areas of bias and racism and repent of those sinful thoughts. You can pray for the families of those impacted by injustices that God would comfort them and show his presence in the middle of their grief. Pray for God's influence on people with authority to move their hearts and minds toward decisions and laws that promote justice and remove laws and policies that impede justice. Pray for you and your community to be an example of treating all people with dignity as image bearers of God. Teach your children to respect and value all people, regardless of ethnicity, culture, skin color, religion, and other differences. Engage with people who are different from you to listen and learn their stories. Speak up and do not be passive if you observe people being mistreated. Support the government officials and law enforcement personnel who do treat all people with dignity and respect and encourage them in their work. If you are in a position of some authority, be aware of any potential discrimination or injustice that could be occurring within your own organization and take steps to correct it. Look for opportunities to love all people and ask God to reveal those to you. And learn more about racial divides, discrimination, and injustice. By watching Oneness Embraced and The Color of Compromise on Right Now Media, you can get a free account at efree.org slash rightnowmedia. And join us tonight for a discussion and prayer time about racism and injustice. We want to hear from you and learn more together. We will be meeting online so everyone can attend. You can sign up at efree.org slash forum so we know if we need to add an extra time. Please remember, with everything going on in our country right now, that the people are not the enemy. Even the people who disagree with you, they are people that God loves. And there is a real enemy, a spiritual enemy, an enemy that would love nothing more than for social causes to distract you completely from what people really need, the message of the gospel. It's the gospel of reconciliation. It reconciles us to God and frees us from the bondage of sin so we can be reconciled to each other. The ethnic division and discrimination in the ancient Middle East was intense. But once people heard the gospel and trusted in Jesus, ethnic enemies became brothers in Christ. 
Jews and Gentiles and many subgroups of Gentiles that also didn't like each other put aside all their superficial differences and were known by their love for each other. I pray that the same can be said of us in St. Louis and all over our country. I want to close by reading from Ephesians chapter 6. And please pay careful attention to these words. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor, so you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then, after the battle, you will still be standing firm. Stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. For shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you will be fully prepared. In addition to all of these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Pray in the Spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. And pray for me too. Ask God to give me the right words so I can boldly explain God's mysterious plan that the good news is for Jews and Gentiles alike.